The London Eye Mystery, Chapter 7, The Wheel Turns Let's see if we can follow Salim on his way round, Kat said. The pod he was in was rising. By walking backwards, we found we could track it as it slowly arced from six o'clock anti-clockwise to four o'clock. While we watched, I started to tell Kat the facts I knew about the eye, how it was not really a Ferris wheel at all, and how on a clear day you can see for 25 miles from it. But she interrupted me and said, Do you like Salim, Ted? He's our cousin, I said, which means we share 50% of our gene pool. Yeah, but do you like him? Hmm, I... Don't you feel anything, ever? I like him, Kat. He's my friend. She nodded. He's cute. Cute, I said. Cat calls lots of things cute, including cats, football players, movie stars, skirts, and babies, which means that cute doesn't mean much, because if everything's cute, what isn't? Me, I suppose. I don't suppose Cat would ever call me cute. Salim's a mosher, I said. A mosher? It's northern for casual, cool dude, I said. And he gets lonely, he told me. Really? Cat sounded impressed. Perhaps it's having to move to New York. I'd be lonely if I had to leave all my friends. We kept watching the London Eye go round. It was like a huge clock going only anti-clockwise. Salim's pod moved from three o'clock to two o'clock, just as an airplane flew low overhead. Cat, I said. What? What does it mean when something is up your street? Huh? Salim said the tempest would be right up my street. He acted in it at school last term. Cat laughed. We've been reading it at school, too. Mr. Moynihan keeps, keeps making me read Miranda's part, and she's such a bloody dish rag. I considered this. So it's not up your street? No way. The pod was nearing one o'clock. What do you think of Auntie Glow? Cat asked. I remembered what Dad said about her leaving a trail of devastation in her wake. Then I remembered how she'd said I was like Andy Warhol, a cultural icon. I don't know. Me neither. I heard Dad say to Mom that Auntie Glow drives him bananas, and I found two empty bottles of wine on top of the fridge. In my mind's eye, Aunt Gloria turned into a motorist with driving goggles and a huge consignment of bananas in the back seat. You mean... She drives him bananas the way I drive you nuts, I said. Bananas, nuts, round the bend, off your trolley, whatever. She laughed, and I joined in, because it showed I knew what she meant, even if I wasn't sure what was funny about Aunt Gloria making Dad feel insane. Then Salim's pod got to its highest point, 12 o'clock, and we both said, now, at the same time, and laughed again. And this time, I meant the laugh. We'd been tracking the same pod, the exact one Salim was in. My watch said 11.47. He was right on schedule, and at the top the sun made the glass shine. The pod sank slowly to 9 o'clock. I remembered from the time we'd gone up before how, near the end of the ride, a souvenir photograph is taken automatically. The London Eye managers have fixed a camera into position so that a good shot of everyone is possible against a backdrop of Big Ben. It happened somewhere between 8 and 7 o'clock. I saw the dark figures inside Salim's pod gathered to one side, facing out northeast to where the camera was. 
I even made out a flash. Then we walked back to where we'd arranged to meet Salim and waited for his pod to land. At 12.02 precisely, it came back to Earth. The pod doors opened. A group of six grown-up Japanese tourists came out first. Then came a fat man and woman with their two small boys who were also fat, which probably meant that they all ate too much convenience food and needed to improve their diet. The girl in the fluffy jacket followed, one in arm, arm in arm with her boyfriend. A big burly man in a raincoat with white hair and a briefcase came out next. He looked like he should have been getting off a commuter train, not the eye. And then came a tall, thin, blonde lady holding hands with a gray-haired man who was much shorter than her. Finally, two African women in flowing, colorful robes came out, laughing like they'd just been in the fun fair. Four children of various ages were with them, and they looked very happy. But of Salim, there was no sign. I knew straight away that something was wrong. Hmm, I said. Kat screwed up her face. I could have sworn he was in that one, with the Japanese. The passengers wandered off in different directions. He must be on the next one. We waited, but he wasn't. Not the one after, or the one after that. A bad feeling slithered up my esophagus. Stay here, Kat said, gripping my hand. Don't move. She dropped my hand and ran off. I don't like being left on my own in those crowds. I kept blinking and looking around, thinking Selim would rematerialize. Then I started to think I'd lost Kat, too. Then I realized I didn't know how to find Mom and Aunt Gloria, which meant I was lost as well. My hand flapped, and I forgot about trying to stop it. Then Kat came back. No sign of Selim? No, Kat. I brought this, she said. A souvenir photo. I looked at all of them, the ones before and the ones after, but I couldn't find any with Salim in. This is the one with the Japanese and the African ladies. She showed me the photograph, and I looked at the faces of strangers, smiling and waving at the camera. Various bits of people were chopped off, as the pod had been quite full. You could see half a face here, an arm waving there, but nothing that looked remotely like Salim. Salim isn't there, I said. Then I said, Salim has disappeared. Cat groaned. Mum and Auntie Glow are going to be livid. The London Eye Mystery, Chapter 8. What goes up doesn't necessarily come down. We walked over to where Mum and Aunt Gloria were having coffee. Let's lie, hissed Cat, about taking that ticket from a stranger. She grabbed me by the wrist so hard it hurt. Lie, I repeated. Hmm, lie. We could say that Salim got lost in the crowds, that he... She let my wrist go. Oh, forget it, she said. I know telling a lie with you is useless. And stop doing that duck that's forgotten how to quack look. We reached the table where Aunt Gloria and Mum sat talking up another storm. We stood by them in silence. A pounding started up in my ears, as if my blood pressure had shot up above normal, which is what Mum says happens to her when Cat drives her distracted. That There you are, Aunt Gloria said. Have you got the tickets? Cat waited for me to say something. I waited for Cat to say something. Where's Salim? asked Mum. Not still in the queue. Hmm, I said. No. Mum looked as if Salim might be behind us. 
Where then? We don't know, Cat blurted. This man, he came up and offered us a ticket for free. He'd bought it and then decided he couldn't face the ride. He had claustrophobia, I said. That's right, and the queue was terrible, so we took the ticket and we gave it to Salim, and Salim went up on his own, and he didn't come down. Aunt Gloria shaded her eyes and looked up. So he's up there somewhere, she said, smiling. Kat had a hand to her mouth and her fingers were wriggling like worms. I'd never seen her act like this before. No, she said. He went up ages ago. Ted and I tracked his pod, but when it came down, he wasn't on it. Mom's face scrunched up, which meant she was A, puzzled, or B, cross, or C, both. What on earth do you mean he wasn't on it? He went up, Mum, I repeated, but he didn't come down. My hand flapped and Mum's mouth went round like an O. He defied the law of gravity, Mum. He went up, but he didn't come down, which means Newton got it wrong. Hmm. Mum looked more cross than puzzled by now, but Aunt Gloria's face remained smooth like paper without a crease. Bet I know what happened, she said, smiling. What? We all said. He probably went round one more time. The simplicity of this solution struck Kat and me at once. That's it. He just stayed on, said Kat. I looked at my watch, in which case he'll land at 1232. We went back to the eye, this time with Mum. Aunt Gloria said she would stay where she was because Selim would know where to find her if, he, if we missed him. We watched several pods open and close, but no Selim. 1232 came and went no Salim. Mum asked the staff if they could help. A woman from customer services came to talk to us. She said she'd like to help but couldn't. She said that the London Eye management policy states that children are not supposed to ride without an adult accompanying them. Mum's eyebrows met in the middle. Cat, she said. I relied on you. You should never have accepted the ticket. You should never have let Salim go up on his own. Something terrible happened then. Kat started crying. She hadn't done that in ages. She pressed her knuckles up against her cheekbones. It's always my fault. Never Ted's. I'm always to blame. Ted never does anything wrong. You're older, Kat. But obviously not much wiser. Mom bit her lip and they both stared at each other. Why don't we call his mobile? I said. Mom frowned as if I'd said something stupid. Then her face cleared, which is what you say when someone's been looking unhappy and then they suddenly cheer up. And I like this phrase because it is another weather metaphor. A face can clear just like the sky can when a dark cumulonimbus cloud has passed over and the sun comes out again. Of course, Ted. Mom said, smiling, you're a genius. We should have thought of that right away. We hurried back to where Aunt Gloria was waiting at the table. There was no sign of Selim. When she saw us come back without him, she gave a big sigh. Where has that boy got to? She said. Mom picked up Aunt Gloria's handbag. Call him. Get your mobile out. Give him a call. Okay, Aunt Gloria said. He's probably only a few yards away. She pressed some buttons and put the phone to her ear with a smile and a nod of her head. Then her expression did the opposite of clear. It clouded over. The mobile phone you are ringing has been switched off, she repeated. Please try later. She dropped the phone down on the table. 
Her lips trembled. Why is his phone off? She whispered. Why? Kat said later that we spent the next hour darting around the south bank like headless chickens. It is a puzzling fact that chickens can run around in a frenzy for some seconds after being decapitated, but I do not think they do this for a whole hour. We looked everywhere, but there was no sign of Selene. We went back to the staff, who called in the police. A constable took our names and addresses. He asked if we thought Salim knew his way back to our house. Probably, we said. Then he told us to do three things. A. Keep trying his phone. B. Go home and wait. And C. Try not to worry. He said that he would report Salim's disappearance to the rest of the squad on duty in the area. If he hadn't reappeared in a few hours, an officer would visit us. Kat tried to explain about how Salim had vanished sometime after getting on the wheel and before getting off. He looked at her as if she was imagining it. Children don't evaporate into thin air, he said. Not in my experience. So then we did B and went home to wait. We were hoping to see Salim in our front garden, but he wasn't there. So Aunt Gloria did A, that is, she pressed and repressed the redial button on her mobile phone. Mom got her inside and made tea. Kat fetched a china plate and arranged some chocolate fingers on it. This was Mom and Kat's way of trying to do C, but nobody ate any. We all tried not to worry, but nobody succeeded. Then Mom called Dad and told him what had happened. He said he was round the corner at the barracks and nearly finished for the day. He'd come home to see if there was anything he could do to help. Mom hung up. Immediately, the phone rang. Aunt Gloria grabbed it. Salim, she said loudly. She listened for a few seconds, and her face turned into a mini ice age. That's my own expression, and I hope you can guess what it means. She slammed the phone down. Some man, she said, selling conservatory windows. She made it sound as if selling conservatory windows was a crime against humanity. She looked at the clock on the mantelpiece. Three hours, she said. He's been gone for three hours. This hasn't happened before. Then she started pacing up and down the room, punching one fist into the palm of another. It was very interesting to watch. I wondered what kind of weather she could be compared to and decided on a thunderstorm, very localized, with forked lightning. Salim, she said as if he were in the room. I'll have your guts for garters. I had never heard this one before and wondered what garters were. Kat told me later that they are what women used to wear around their thighs to keep their stockings up and they are elasticated. I do not think guts would be a tidy way of doing this. Then Aunt Gloria said, Oh my boy, what have they done to you? I wondered whom she meant by they. Then, you'd better be back by Wednesday or we'll miss our flight to New York. Then, that stupid policeman saying not to worry, I'll bet he doesn't have children. Then, supposing some terrible gang has abducted him, oh, mercy, mercy, no. Then she noticed me watching her. What are you staring at? She pointed a pink lacquered fingernail at me and jabbed the air. If you hadn't suggested going to the London Eye, this never would have happened. You and your bloody bicycle wheel in the sky. She flopped into the sofa and made a wailing sound. Oh, Ted, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Glow, Mum said, rushing to sit beside her. Calm down, love. 
She flapped her hand at me as if I was an annoying fly. I figured out that this meant she didn't want me anywhere nearby. I went to see Kat, who was in the kitchen sitting at the table. She had her headphones on and her head down on her arm so she couldn't see me or hear me. So I went up to my room.